Welcome to another episode of Rise from the Shadows. Life wounds need band-aids too. Angela Winner is our guest this week. She's a non-commissioned officer and professional military education instructor in the United States Air Force. She's currently teaching at the Little Rock Airman Leadership School. And on this episode, Angela opens up about three lessons she picked up as a child and how those same three lessons took on a whole new meaning after some traumatic life experiences. Angela talks about having a rift with her father while she was trying to become more independent during her early years. And then she deployed in 2016 how those same life lessons clashed with stress, isolation, depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts. But it was her faith and strong support system that got her back on track, allowing her to bounce back and while doing so reconcile her relationship with her father before he passed away. This emotional episode is released two days after Angela's father's birthday. And we thank her for opening up and celebrating him on this episode of Fries from the Shadows. Enjoy. Angela Winter, hey. Born and raised in Sacramento, California. You know, it's my mother, Cheryl, and my father, Leon. This story for me is definitely something that I haven't really told in its entirety. Um, I'm so thankful to currently be a PME instructor where I've been able to share portions of this during certain lessons to get other students to talk. But I mean, now it's my turn to sit back and just have that moment. Can't really kick into something that's pivotal to me until you kind of understand a little bit of the backstory. Um, so uh, again, born in Sacramento, California, and you would think with how diverse California is that, you know, being born to a Caucasian mother and an African-American father would be something that's easily accepted, um, but it's not. Uh, it's something that a lot of people don't really address when you are a mixed race child. There's a lot of confusion on where you belong, as well as who's going to accept you. You're not one side, you're not the other in its entirety, therefore you probably don't really belong in either one. So it creates a lot of confusion. Uh, a lot of that contributed towards how my father grew up as well. He experienced his own level of abuse as well as being born in the midst of 1950s and 60s. So his idea on interacting with people was very limited. He only knew the scope of his family, which had its own levels of either abuse or simply neglect. So that was his perception initially on how you interact with individuals. The way you speak to each other, the way you interact, it's meant with yelling and probably physical contact. That was a norm. And that was further something that was taught. Um, but I always saw my father as somebody that was strong and independent and definitely the dominant one in the family because he had to be as the older sibling. Uh, my mother, I've always seen her as not only a dominant person, but still somewhat submissive considering the family that she also came from that did not accept her when she got with my father. She was immediately disowned from her family. So a lot of this dysfunction led to, you know, figuring out which side are you going to choose, who are you going to be a part of? And there was a lot of confusion simply from, okay, I don't really know where I belong, but I know I at least belong here. So I'm going to learn from the two individuals that are the only family I know to teach me is my parents. And that lack of understanding and the way they grew up was the pivotal points for me on how I grew up. The way you interact with people and the fact that you hide your emotions because you're meant to be strong, that was something that we held near and dear. So interacting was yelling and abuse and then 
you don't necessarily show your emotions. That was a sign of strength. So it gave me three lessons that I got from not only my family unit, but specifically from my father and my mother separately. So when it comes to my family unit, family and love is pain. So the family that you love will either cause you pain because they love you in some manner, or the pain that you receive within the scope of being a family is necessary. And that's just how you grow. And that was just one of the lessons I was like, okay. Lessons from my father was that strength is equal to, or basically is completely equivalent to being silent, especially as a female, you're meant to be very submissive and silent, as well as you give your maximum effort to everything quietly. So you perform well, you do well often, but you don't boast about it. But also because I was a female, it was that old school home life mindset of you would be quiet about it and be quiet about just about everything else. And then my mother, she was a cosmetologist. So she did hair, nails and all that. And she did a lot of work all day. I remember her waking up at six in the morning and getting to work um, on her feet all day and then getting home at 7 p.m. trying to make dinner for two kids. So she taught me hard work, but also in the midst of that, teaching me hard work comes with providing a service to others on a regular basis to the point where you forget yourself. You should never consider your own self because everybody else is the most important. So hearing all that, it's like, wow, this is a makings of the most independent female of this world, right? Definitely adult material. Okay, not so much, and at least not yet. So a little bit of that backstory kind of just hit it's a little bit differently when I head into my teen years, when I still have all those lessons resonating and bottom line is you don't need band-aids, meaning you don't need other people or other things to assist you with your strength. You have it internally with your work ethic and you have it externally in how you express yourself and how you show people I am strong. So heading into college, it was a different toll where now I wasn't really told or put in a box of what I was supposed to learn like you do in the K through 12 system or how you would when you're living with your parents. Now I'm in control of my own education. So I started taking African-American history classes, started taking art classes and psychology and sociology so I can understand how people interact. And then I started to come to the grips that all my lessons were a lie. That's not how you interact with people. And now I'm in my early 20s trying to figure out how do you properly talk to people? I don't even know how to appropriately socialize without physically expressing how I feel and that immediately deterring everyone away. Or just simply, I don't know how to stop working and then taking a break to incorporate others. So it... It definitely led me to a path where I was angry with both my parents. I was trying to figure out who I was and disappointed that I'm in my early 20s just now hearing the history for both sides of my race, both sides of my culture, and trying to figure out why I'm heading into my mid-20s and at the time about to get married and wondering why am I somehow still confused on who I am. I have no idea who I am anymore. and. A lot of that led to more specifically myself and my father no longer speaking. He didn't support me trying to become more independent, get married, and then eventually 
trickle myself into the military. He didn't agree with a lot of my decisions to try and be that one to stand alone and eventually have a voice. So I am my father's daughter. We were both very stubborn and butted heads to the point where we no longer saw eye to eye or saw each other at all. So that led to myself mainly communicating with my family, predominantly through my mother or simply not at all. At the time, my spouse's mother and all of her family became mine. And it was their invitation into a new world of a loving family, a love that I didn't really know or see in that way that didn't require physical interaction in an aggressive way was very different for me. So it was a combination of that and then my daughter being born in 2014 that officially just turned on a switch and said, you know what? It's no longer about me. Even if I feel upset, that stubbornness needs to wipe away and I need to be able to communicate with my family. I may have not been given that opportunity to know my family outside of just the four walls I grew up in, but that should not be her burden. And that's not fair. So it was around the time when my daughter started progressing and I'm fast forwarding a lot to her being two years old. And it was me finally off and on getting in contact with my family, more specifically my parents more and more. And during this time, it uh, came to light that my father's health was deteriorating. Um, he had type two diabetes. So definitely not a lot of life choices that were positive. A lot of my family um, has tendency to be very large. That was that large and in charge took a physical form and then some. So uh, a lot of his choices led him to not really take care of himself as much. And it became more obvious around the time when my daughter was born and I was trying to come and interact more. Um, he eventually had both his legs amputated from the knee down. He was missing three fingers and he was considered legally blind. Um, my daughter officially got pictures with him when I came home prior to deploying in 2016. And those are the only pictures she ever got with him. Talk about that. So you're thinking up to this point, I'm interacting with my family now. I must have grown so much, man. Adult me is fabulous. Oh my goodness. I look forward to all the greatness you're going to have. Not so much. Because that mindset of not having band-aids was still there. Although I've already proven those lessons that I was taught early on wrong, that those routine habits of not reaching out or simply suffering either in silence or silently getting through things was still embedded. And it wasn't so much of, yeah, you're an adult and you worked through it. It was more so, no, I perfected the technique of ignoring my problems and filling them with the service towards others because that seemed to be a value. So all this, never would have guessed that that was backstory, goes into a pivotal event for me that changed me. And it's when I deployed in 2016. So when I deployed, um, my job had me on a six to six shift. So unlike most deployed locations where they are noon to noon or 12 to 12, so you either noon to midnight or midnight to noon. Mine was one of the very few that was six to six. And I only worked with one senior NCO and sometimes a second one when they typically came in during my hours. Other than that, very little interaction with most individuals. 
So it definitely left myself as senior airman currently operating in an NCO position all by myself, very solo. And it was during that time that I started making different mistakes from being solo and coming back from them and trying to prove myself because that level of perfection and working hard started to flare up now that I'm in a different environment that has increased stress. So the stress didn't get bad already when I deployed early in the spring, it got even worse. On 26 June was when my mother sent me a message saying my father wanted to stop dialysis treatments. He was finished fighting and he wanted whatever course of action to happen for his health and diabetes wise to just take its toll. And at the time I kept thinking, it's fine, it's fine. You know, it's no worries. I I will see them when I get back. And mom, it's fine. I I appreciate whatever he chooses to do. Um, I support you all. I really hope he keeps fighting and I will see you all soon. July 2nd came and I received a voice message from my mother. And it was her telling me that he passed away. And I remember it being July 2nd in the evening. It was probably about 7.38 p.m. And it was when we were celebrating July 4th early because of the time difference and everything where we were located. Just celebrate it early. It's easier for a lot of people's schedules. And I remember being in a huge room filled with people and it seemed like nobody noticed that my heart just fell. No one noticed the color in my face died. I was able to make it all the way back to my room without being bothered. I remember going into my room and pacing back and forth from the door to my bed, counting the number of steps to figure out how to find my balance. And one thing that helped me was my faith. Um, That was a band-aid I was willing to admit since I had recently within the past year and a half become a very devoted Christ follower. And that helped me a lot in those earlier times when I first heard it in those moments, but it didn't stop the anxiety every time I went back to my room. Um, I still remember taking trips to almost like a little hut area that's a little bit away from where my room was for if we ever had a mortar attack. And I remember going there because it was pretty secluded and no one paid attention to any noises from over there. And I would literally scream at the top of my lungs and nobody would hear. And it put me in a solemn state, recognizing that I couldn't be heard and I was uncertain on whether I wanted to. I started to drift very much so into isolation and depression. I thought I didn't really know anybody at work. There was no effort to be made. What also helped me aside from church, since that band-aid slowly started ripping away and it wasn't as helpful in the moment when I felt cloudy, um, were two individuals. I name dropped them anyway. Um, senior Airman uh, Shaquita Bowling and at the time, Tech Sergeant Renee Borellis, both defenders. And they worked with me on certain accounts for my particular job and They regularly saw me very peppy and I would go by and say hi to them whenever I went to my room, but they realized it was a portion of time where I didn't say much and I walked past it so fast. And it was actually at the time, Airman Bowling, who stopped me and was like, hey, you've been quiet lately. Are you okay? 
And it was in that moment where it was like throw up of my father died. And she didn't pressure me. She didn't pressure me for more information. She was just there. And um, both her and Sergeant Borella started regularly doing uh, almost like an art challenge. They knew I enjoyed art. So they started drawing pictures and we would leave them on each other's doors so that, okay, you drew a dragon. Now it's my turn to draw a dragon and I can make it better. And I put it on their door. So it gave me something to look forward to. So that was my second band-aid is the fact that someone noticed me and noticed the fact that I felt like I was dying inside. Uh, this is my father being somebody that I never really connected with as well as I wanted to into my adulthood. And I felt like we were coming back together and about to have everything squared away. And we were, I was going to get to know my history. And it still was feeling like it's falling apart every moment because now that is a half of my history I will never know. Um, they definitely kept me afloat but it became more difficult as we inched towards August because August 18th is my father's birthday. So it became very difficult and I was still very depressed. I stopped going to church services and add a little bit of context for my particular job. Uh, to get to my office, you have to go through two combination locks. One of them, a select few knew the combination lock to get into the building. Only myself and two other senior NCOs knew the combination to my specific office. So I was alone a lot. And being alone in your own thoughts is not a smart thing. I remember oftentimes grabbing my M16, taking it with me into the bathroom and just staring at it from across the stalls. Nobody would really notice. No one would really know if I was gone. I remember one time holding it under my chin to measure my arm length to see if it was possible. And it was a very low point. And I feel like those other band-aids of the Holy Spirit interjecting were the one moment where I was feeling really, really down and that it was possible and plausible. That's when I would get a voice message that was, from uh, my daughter, or there would be an all of a sudden random video that would be from family that was 30 seconds, but it was 30 seconds of heaven that got me away from where I was willing to go. Or it would be an evening where Airman Bowling or Sarambrellas would have a random picture that was completely off the wall and had me laughing. But I had definitely considered taking my own life multiple times. And I had never shared with anyone out of embarrassment or I felt embarrassed because you still have that thought process or at least I did from childhood. You have more than what anyone else would have. Why are you crying? Why are you upset? You have no reason to be upset. So it took that third band-aid, if you will, was a chaplain, a brand new, I wish I remembered his name, but he was a captain <laughs> um, that arrived to the base and it's almost like he could feel my spirit from across the room. And he immediately went through an entire crowd and got to me and was in my face. And I was like, how are you? Gave him the topical answer. Oh, I'm fine. No worries. Because it was after work. I was in the MWR just trying to relax if I could, simply because I didn't like being in my very tiny space of a room. 
after I gave him the topical answer, he stopped me and he was like, hang on a second. No, how are you? And in that moment, I don't know how far spirits were connecting to get me to open my mouth, but I immediately was crying and told him I'm not okay. I'm not. And he met up with me that night and had me meet in his office. And I explained everything. And I explained to him how it was getting worse because my father's birthday is coming up. I had a birthday card to send him and all this. And he was very receptive. He said, I could, here is my direct cell phone number if you need anything. And he had explained that I at least want one person from your leadership to know, one. So to this day, up to this point, um, and other than my students that I have lightly shared portions of this story, no one I deployed with knew that my father passed away. Other than Airman Bowling, Sergeant Borellis, that chaplain, and my first sergeant. Nobody, not my direct boss that I rode in a car with every day, and not anyone else that I had interacted with or passed periodically. And it took all those different band-aids of just little things that kept me afloat to at least get me back stateside to officially walk into mental health and say, I'm still not okay. And to get direct help. Um, so it doesn't really sound like the happiest of stories, but it's some key takeaways that I got was that family and love is not necessarily pain. Um, but not taking care of your family could result in some type of pain. And I was a recipient of that, but I definitely don't have to be a conduit for that for anyone else. Um, when it came to my father's teachings of strength, that strength can be built through your effort that you put into things, but you can't choose silence. You need to be able to speak up for yourself and it's being able to balance the two of knowing when to be silent and when to speak up, that definitely shows your strength. And when it came to my mother, hard work can be displayed through your service to others, but also how you serve yourself. Because if you don't know how to treat you, no one else would. I treated myself like a silent pushover that might as well just go into a corner and not say anything. Therefore, that's what people saw and that's how people chose to treat me. I didn't tell them or explain anything different. But I definitely hold near and dear to my Christian background that helped me stay afloat. Airman Bowling and Sergeant Borellis that definitely kept me going with some minor laughs and then that chaplain that he just knew and saved my life. So that's my story. For real, thank you so much for sharing that. You did an amazing job. That was awesome. When I typed it out, I cried more. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's because I was by myself at the time. It was just the ugly cry, but it's yeah. Therapeutic. Um, it is. And I'm, I'm so thankful for honestly becoming a PM instructor. Mm -hmm. It literally became my therapy. Every single time we start going through different leadership lessons learned, and more specifically, when we talk about emergent leadership issues, sharing portions of my story every single class, it made it so talking about it. So even this right here would not have been possible a year and a half ago. Yeah. Like me talking about it, I, I didn't typically share. And this gave me a platform 
platform of comfort to share in an educational way that made it easier to talk about my what I've been through. I'm so thankful. So the time that this episode is released, uh, it's two days after what would have been your father's um, birthday. Looking back, what is one thing that really stands out, that one really, really fond memory you have of your father? When I was a teenager and um, he was very much a hermit. So he did not connect a lot with his family at all, which showed. And um, I remember just hanging out. Um, There are beds, our beds were in front of TVs and um, we would all hang out on different people's beds when we are kind of congregating together. So it was one weekend of, or multiple weekends of hanging out on his bed and was just chit chatting. Stuff happened at school and him just giving me the real. And I felt as if I was getting to know a real person and not so much of someone that over my childhood I saw as angry or someone that I viewed as abusive or simply just not understanding. And it was, those were definitely some really good times to reflect back on. And just remember hearing that real and being honest with each other and realizing I am my father's daughter. We're so much alike or I'm like you. It's like my youngest right now. She's, she's on this kick if she is not like me, but she's every time I tell her, I'm like, or her mother will tell her that that's something that I do. She's like, I'm not like him, but she's going to realize the older she gets, she is exactly like I am. And it's going to drive her crazy, but she'll appreciate it one day. And I see that more even with my daughter. And I feel like it makes a lot of things resonate even more so to pay attention to simply everything that I do to her, I need to remember it's going to be a ripple effect like it was for me. So it it makes me realize if she's ever having a moment where she needs to cry, I don't tell you, well, what are you crying for? I've literally pulled over my car into a parking lot and I get in the back seat right next to her. And I was like, are you having a moment right now? It's like, yes, mommy. It's like, would you like to have a moment? And I hold you for a minute. Like, absolutely. And it just, it helps her know that it is okay to release your frustration in whatever means you choose to. And that was something I was never given. And it's amazing to be able to hand that back. Yeah. I I can definitely tell that I'm going to have you coming back for like a full blown shadows episode but what uh what final comments or final advice would you have for listeners for this episode oh i'd say the main thing that sticks out to me is transparency beyond just what you offer others so people always think of transparency as oh i'm just going to be honest with anyone i interact with and call it good but also that means being honest with yourself so it could mean being honest and saying straight up need help or frankly I'm gonna let somebody know I didn't like that or you know what hey guys I'm I'm actually really happy right now and here's why so being transparent with everyone in its entirety and being comfortable sharing yourself and everything will come full circle and how it needs to be if you just do that leap of faith well like I said we're gonna have you coming back for an actual shadows episode uh, but oh, I can't thank you. thank you enough. Yeah, you yeah, you definitely you passed your audition. Um, oh. <laughs> I can't uh, I can't thank you enough. Yeah, exactly. You see the expectations. I um 
you know, just to kind of give everyone kind of a little backstory, I connected with you in Orlando uh, a couple mm. weeks back at the AFSA PEDS that we were uh, working and you, uh, you spoke up several times throughout and I was like, dang, she's very well spoken. She could probably, and you're PME, so I know you're already good at public speaking. I was like, she would, she's probably got something to share. But even after connecting with you there and talking to you, I had no idea. Um, it just goes to show surface level. You just never know what somebody's been through. Uh, I lost my father as well. And uh, still to this day, you know, it, it's it's been 30 some years. It's still really hard uh, to talk about. But um, thank you for taking time to do this and to come on here and share this with us. So definitely thank you from the bottom of my heart for, for opening up and sharing this story. I appreciate the opportunity, seriously. I very rarely share giant chunks of myself. So this is absolutely one of those leap of faith moments and definitely can start a home for others. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, folks, that is going to conclude this episode of Rise from the Shadows. Hey, Shadows listeners. If you're looking to make some extra income that also impacts people, then you need to look at becoming a certified leadership coach with Giant. If you don't already know, Giant has been in the leadership space for over 13 years. I got certified through Giant in 2018, and I've been teaching ever since. Just to give you some context, they used to own and operate the John Maxwell brands. They ran the LeaderCast conferences where Jim Collins, Henry Cloud, Malcolm Gladwell, and Simon Sinek, just to name a few, were regular speakers. They have over 500 coaches worldwide working in over 127 countries and are being hired by companies like Google, Chick-fil-A, Pfizer, Delta, and more. And yes, you can do this too. I know this might sound intimidating, but Giant will literally give you everything you need to start your own coaching business from scratch. You get hands-on training from top-level coaches to learn the exact methodology and tools that six-figure coaches are using. You get an all-in-one online platform to run your entire coaching business, even if you want to work 100% remotely. And you'll get to join a thriving community of coaches from all around the world. To get started, Giant is hosting a coaching business workshop to help you learn the ins and outs of how to build a successful coaching business. This is both for experienced coaches, consultants, and those who are looking to start coaching and consulting with little to no experience. If you want to hear the really good news, this whole workshop, it's free, 100% free. And you can reserve your spot by going to giant.tv forward slash shadows. Why not give it a shot? What's better than making a positive change in people's lives and making some extra money in the process? Giant launches a new hiring cohort every month. Now, they only have 20 coaching slots available each month. So it's first come, first serve. So go ahead and make sure you reserve your spot. If you're ready to make an impact and get paid doing it, go to giant.tv forward slash shadows, giant.tv forward slash shadows.